O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son. Both of these songs have really put us in a mind of worship, a mind of focusing on God. The prayer that was offered caused us to dwell on God as our creator, as the sustainer, as the all-powerful, as the one who gave the Son for us. That's why we're here, to worship the God who has given us so much. So isn't it our responsibility to in turn give him everything we have? Give him the best service that we can. How do we do that? It's not by having perfect pitch. It's not by offering eloquent prayers. It's in here. Our preparation for worship is in our hearts and a prepared heart is a worshipful heart. So that's what we're going to talk about this evening is preparing for worship. Preparing to give our best service to God. We prepare for all kinds of things, right? We prepare to go on trips. You know, a day trip may take a couple of days of planning to figure out exactly what we want to do and when we want to do it. But a vacation, think about a two-week vacation overseas, that takes a lot of planning. Sometimes that takes months or even a year of planning to get just right, just the way we want it. Or we hope it goes the way we want it. It still doesn't necessarily go as we plan, even if we put preparation into it. Think about a ball game. Think about the players playing the game. There's so much preparation that goes into it from the practices and the conditioning. The time spent by the coaches developing and then editing plays. The time spent by the players practicing those plays. Changing what they eat. Changing their exercise routines. Getting ready. Conditioning themselves for the game. When you go to spectate, sometimes you got to bring your own chair. Especially for like baseball. You know, you bring your own chair, you check the weather before you walk out if you're going to a baseball game in March. Because it can be 80 degrees or it can be 30 degrees. You just don't know what it's going to be. You have to do preparation for just about everything. Why wouldn't we prepare for worship? In... First Chronicles chapter 28, David made some preparations. First Chronicles 28, if you'll turn there with me, that'll be our first passage this evening. Starting in verse 2, Then David arose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and had made preparation to build it. David wanted to build a house for God. Notice he doesn't call this temple really a house for God, but the footstool for God. He knows that this building, as majestic as it was, as fantastic by worldly standards and pure by God's standards, it was, 
it couldn't contain God. And David was aware of that. But notice it says he made preparations to build it. Well, we find out in 1 Chronicles 17 that David wasn't even going to be the one to build it. He's in his house of cedar. And he says the house of God, or the ark of God, is in a tent while I'm in this house. He goes to Nathan and says, I want to build a house for God. Nathan says, go do it. God is with you. But God comes to Nathan and says, David will not build this house for me. So then Nathan takes that message back to David. And we see that in verse 3. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. David's not going to get to build this house that he had already prepared to do. But he's about to find out who's going to build this house in verse 6. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. David finds out Solomon, his son, will be the one to build the house for God. So what does he do? He helps him prepare Verse 9, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. In front of the nobles, in front of the people, he charges Solomon Follow the Lord your God, and he will be with you. And build this house for his name. Well, that's not all he does. Starting in verse 11, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the spirit of the courts, of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries for the dedicated things. Verse 14, he gave gold by weight for things of gold, for all articles used in every kind of service, also silver for all articles of silver by weight, for all articles used in every kind of service. Then in verse 21, here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God, and every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service, also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. David has thoroughly prepared Solomon for this work. He charged him to follow God and keep his commandments. And then he gave him everything he needed from the plans to the precious metals. David prepared to build this house and he prepared Solomon to build it. Preparations is just as important for us as it was for David in this case. We're preparing to honor the God who has done so much for us. Great things he has promised. Great things he has done. Many things have been prepared for us to be here this morning. 
just take observing the Lord's Supper. Trays had to be bought. Then someone had to come up here and fill those trays. In addition to that, someone had to buy the supplies to fill those trays. Then someone was assigned to prepare and give a talk before the Lord's Supper to focus our minds. In addition to that, men were prepared to pass the trays. All of this and more was done for one act of worship. Then multiply that by everything else we do. We have a sound system. We have pews that we sit on in an air-conditioned building. We have songbooks, PowerPoints that make it even easier. All this is done to make our worship better. The elders and deacons together have given us what we need far beyond what we need to worship. Now it's our turn to fill our responsibility of preparing ourselves to worship God. And there's a lot to it we'll see as we go through the lesson. Most of us would say that coming to worship is the most important part of our week. It's the most important thing we do. But what does our preparation say? Are we preparing more for worship on Sunday morning or for the ball game on Friday night? Our preparation starts in our hearts. And it starts before worship. Prepare for class. We have a great class program here that teaches so well. It alone won't teach our children and it won't teach us. But one thing that can make our class more beneficial is preparing. Be ready for class to get more out of it. When we review the material for class, it gets it embedded in our minds better. Repetition is great for better memory and better learning. In addition to that, preparing our lessons has us thinking independently about what we're studying. It has us drawing our own conclusions, making our own points. And so we come to class ready to comment, ready to be involved ready to make the class more productive for ourselves and for others. In addition to that, in Deuteronomy, it's a great way to keep God's word before us continually. And these words which I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When we prepare for class, we start that preparation for worship. We may already have that time set aside. Yes, we're going to church Sunday morning. That's not a question. But we really start that preparation by getting into the Word and getting ready for class. And then we got to get into sleep. We all know what it feels like to be sleep deprived. A lot of us are parents, and more of us have been teenagers. 
we all know what it's like to go without sleep. You know, for parents, first you have the infants that you have to get up with, and then they turn into snotty kids that get sick, and then you're up half the night with them when they're sick, or more than half the night. As teenagers, you know, we stay up all hours of the night, right? We know what it's like, how it, how it affects us when we're sleep-deprived. We get groggy. We get slow in our thinking. According to the CDC, sleep de- deprivation can even take away our sobriety. The CDC compared sleep deprivation to alcohol intoxication. In their study, after 17 hours without sleep, it's equivalent to a blood alcohol content of 0.05. And at 24 hours without sleep, it's equivalent to a blood alcohol content of 0.1%. Remember, the legal limit is 0.08 in the U.S., But impairment has been shown as early as 0.05. So some countries take that as their legal limit. Just 17 hours, that's from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. How many times have we done that or more? We know what it's like to be impaired because of a lack of sleep. A night shift nurse, you know, they, they work all night and then try to sleep during the day. Trouble is, everything happens during the day, which means that they're left trying to get a few hours of sleep while also getting normal things done. A night shift nurse described it this way. Sometimes it's almost like you're drunk. You're woozy and you're incompetent and you're at risk of making a very serious mistake. That's what sleep deprivation can do to us. And I'm not saying we stay up all night before coming to church in the morning, but even just missing a few hours in the days leading up to Sunday can affect us. You know, Friday comes not long before Sunday, and sleep deprivation affects multiple days. In fact, this past Tuesday, I woke up at 4 a.m. and couldn't go back to sleep. It didn't affect me Wednesday during the day. It affected me Thursday and Friday. So if we stay up late Friday night, it's going to hit us Sunday morning. When we make a habit of getting enough sleep, we can help limit some of these effects. But of course, when we think about sobriety, we think about being in control of ourselves or losing control. And 1 Peter 5 verse 8 tells us why we should always be in control. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When we're sleep deprived, when our judgment is impaired, it makes us more likely to sin. So if we go long enough without sleep, then it affects days and weeks and even months. Try to make a habit of getting enough sleep 
that you can be clear-headed coming into worship so that we can give our best service. And then make an effort to be on time. Be punctual. Psalm 122, verse 1, David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We should be excited to come to worship. It should be the highlight of our week. It should be what drives us. We get to worship on Sunday morning. We get to see our brethren on Wednesday night. I want to be at my best when I see my brothers and sisters. I want to give my best service to my Creator. There's a lot of things that happen when we're late. When we're late, it affects our ability to worship. Anything that we miss, it's like being absent. We can't learn what we're not there to learn. Or if it's singing, we're not able to be taught and admonished or do the same for others because we're simply not there. When we do come in late, it's very possible that we're going to distract others, very likely, unless we sit in the very back. So we need to be cognizant of others when thinking about when we'll arrive. In addition to that, when we get here, we kind of have to sort ourselves, get ourselves ready for worship once we get here. One of my nursing instructors once said, if you're late to start your shift, or rushing to get there on time, then you're going to be rushing around and feeling late all day. The same goes for most people in anything, not just nursing. If you're running behind, you feel rushed, and you feel like everything is going too fast for you to really keep up with. That's just as true here in the worship as it is anywhere else. And if you come in in the middle of services, you're coming into the middle of a thought more than likely. You're in the middle of a song or in the middle of a lesson. And trying to catch up to a thought, trying to catch up to where everyone else is, takes time, which puts you further behind. It's hard to catch up and be involved and be productive and able to worship when we come in late. Obviously, there's things that happen that keep us from being here on time or ready to start when the service starts every time. That shouldn't discourage us, but it should be an opportunity for us to identify what happened and make efforts to keep that from happening again. And let's do our best to avoid having to get up during services. Because it's very similar to being late. When we get up during services, we're removing ourselves from the worship temporarily. Which means everything that applies to being late applies to when we come back into the room. We have the potential of disturbing others. We interrupt our ability to worship and we have to catch up to what's going on. I know there's medical problems and things that make it to where 
some people have to get up, even on a regular basis. And that's understandable and unavoidable. But sometimes it's things that we can't avoid that can be put off for a few minutes. And then we can take care of it after services. Or maybe taking care of it before services can help prevent having to deal with it during services. We have an example of someone who was late in 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul was being attacked by the Philistines, we see. Verse 5, then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. The people are scared. Saul's men are scared. They don't have many. They're far outnumbered. Starting in the second half of verse 7, As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Samuel was late. For whatever reason, he wasn't there when he had agreed to be, when he said he would be. Which gave Saul an opportunity to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And Saul chose to do the wrong thing. We see in verse 13 the effects of that decision. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Because of Saul's actions, the kingdom was taken from him. But the opportunity wouldn't have arisen if Samuel hadn't been late. Now, based on who Saul was, he would have messed up somewhere else very soon, as he did with the Amalekites. But Samuel being late opened up Saul to trouble. A few years ago, I got the opportunity to go to my first college football game. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was excited, so I laid out my clothes the night before. I want to wear this shirt, and we're going to get there this time. It's going to be this temperature, which is just perfect. We're going to get there early so that I can walk around the university because I've never been there before. So we're going to walk around the university. We're going to walk around the stadium. We're going to get good food while we're there. We're going to be there in time to watch the players get off the bus. And then we're going to watch warm-ups. We're going to watch them while they're getting ready. I wanted to be there for every minute of it. And once the game started, I was glued to the stands. 
I wasn't moving anywhere because I didn't want to miss a minute. I wanted to stay till the very last play, and I didn't want to leave unless it was halftime because I didn't want to miss anything. For a football game, pretty trivial, right? What is my devotion to being here in my seat during the service compared to my devotion to a silly football game? Let's all have that same eagerness for worship each week because what we're doing is so important, so monumental each week. We can take measures to avoid distractions and remove them so that we can be focused on the worship. For some people, that's a device of one kind or another. Whether it's a phone or a tablet, they're great tools for Bible study at times. But they can also be distracting. So this is where we have to analyze ourselves, assess ourselves, and learn whether or not we can use a device during services. If a notification has to be chased every time it pops up, then maybe not. Maybe we should stick to a paper Bible in the services and use our devices at home for deeper Bible study. Now, some people can use tablets without any trouble. And there's ways to silence devices so that they don't cause trouble. But for some, it's just too tempting to scroll between apps, to check email or Facebook or whatever during services. That's when it's time to leave the device at home. Martha became distracted in Luke chapter 10. We'll see that she was distracted with service. We think of serving as a good thing, right? Let's see what Jesus has to say. Start in verse 38. Now it happened as they, were, that they, as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. As a high schooler, you know, we went to people's houses all the time, you know, every second and fourth Sunday after services for a Bible study. And the women were kind of bouncing in and out a lot of the times between the doorway and the food. And that's kind of what I imagine Martha was doing. Martha, you know, I can imagine her bouncing back and forth between the food and listening to Jesus. And she said, I need Mary to help me. 
But Jesus' response was that Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away. Martha was distracted by service. How many of us can say that? We're being distracted from worship by service instead of by something unprofitable. Our preparation isn't just done before services. It's not just done before worship, but it's in every day. And we see that in the lives of the apostles and the brethren. In Acts chapter 2, the church is brand new. Brand new, and we see what they're doing. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's a few things going on here that I want to point out. First of all, they're spending time together, and so they know each other's needs. If they're not spending this quality time together, then they won't know what their brothers and sisters need. Spending this time together also lets them see the need instead of just hearing about it. You know, it's something to hear about a need and be like, oh, that's a sad situation. What can I do about it from afar? It's something else entirely to be inside the situation and be seeing the need as it's right in front of your face. So what did they do? They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. In addition to that, they were continuing daily with one accord. They were together. They were united in the temple and in each other's homes, breaking bread from house to house, eating with simplicity of heart, gladness and simplicity of heart, and praising God and having favor with all the people. What happened as a result of that? The church grew daily. God was adding the saved daily. So through their actions, through their camaraderie, through their unity, the church was spreading. In addition, we have to live faithfully during the week. We can't expect to live however we want at home, or out in the world, and that have no impact on our ability to worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. Ephesians 4, starting in 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We, there's a few things going on here. And it starts in their mind. It starts with a futility in their mind. Their understanding was darkened. They were ignorant. And they were blind in their hearts. That resulted in lewdness, all uncleanness and greediness. How does that not carry over into worship? Well, we don't want it to carry over into our worship, which means that has to be put off. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The contrast is stark between these two. Put off what? Put off futility of mind, darkened understanding, ignorance, blindness of heart, lewdness, greediness, and uncleanness. And instead of that old man that's being corrupted by deceitful lusts, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man for all righteousness and holiness. When we're living righteously, when we're holy and devoted to God, then we can be righteous. We can be holy and we can worship in spirit and in truth. Because when we're clouded by the old man, it clouds our worship. It clouds our ability to focus and our ability to share with others. We can't teach and admonish while we're busy either thinking about or trying to push away worldly thoughts. And we can't be taught or admonished when our minds are full. The goal is that during worship, we can offer our best service to God. We can be... We can be helpful to each other and help each other grow. So which, which man, the new or the old, was reflected while you were getting ready this morning? Which man was reflected in your worship today? Were you able to be engaged and productive from the start? Or did it take you a few minutes to get into the worship? What are the weaknesses? What caused that to happen? And what can be changed to get ready for the next service? To have a better worship for yourself, for God, and for 
our brethren. Well, if you're not a Christian, you can do all the preparation in the world. But it'll all be futile. You may learn. You may be thinking in your mind, I need to make changes, and great, that preparation helped you. But until you make the commitment, until you make that change in your life, preparation has little value. Maybe the old man was reflected in not just your preparation, but in every aspect of your life or other aspects. And you need the prayers of the congregation. And you need to repent. If we can help you this evening, please come as we stand and sing together.